0: you're in the right place. Now, here's the host of The Pleasure Zone, sensual movement artist, relationship and sex alchemist, Milica Yelenich
1: Welcome, my sweet pleasure seekers. Today, we are having a conversation all about attachment styles. Attachment styles are important when it comes to sex and relationships and how we actually connect to and desire to have connections when it comes to sex so we're talking about that today for those of you who are brand new to this uh, show or this station first we'll start with this show I have over 380 episodes available for you uh, so listen to I think I'm coming up closer to 400 than I think and uh, you can find topics ranging anything from different like historical things like where was the first um, you know sex toys found in The world, (laughs) like when they do archaeological digs, where was that found? Which I know a lot of the information on that is actually probably skewed to Western culture, but anyhow, that's that, all the way to different things about relationships. So it's pretty wide ranging. Uh, number of topics that you can choose from. I'm sure there's something that will suit you that you'll enjoy. So go through the list, find something that you enjoy. If you, if you're brand new, if you're an avid listener, I'm so grateful for you and thank you for coming back. And this is actually a conversation after all these shows. I can't believe I've never talked about this. So attachment styles, what are they? What do we do with them? Why are they necessary? So there is A fairly uh, world-renowned, one of the top researchers in attachment styles. His name is John Bowlby. Um, He actually talks a lot about uh, different things regarding attachment styles, and he's kind of come up with the idea that there are four attachment styles. And what he believes, through his research, and what his research has identified, is that there are the four main ways that we attach to. Um, in childhood to people is that we attach to our caregivers and if our caregivers can do things like meet our needs um, and are close enough to us and we feel safe and we feel secure and we don't have any separation distress uh, we can actually have some very secure relationships when we grow up now if some of those things are missing or we don't have that uh, we if some of those things are not like if we don't feel close to our our caregiver or if our caregiver has left and we feel distress about it, then things start to shift. So we don't necessarily have secure attachments. So there are four different kinds of attachment styles that we are going to talk about. We are going to discuss first and foremost how they occur in childhood and what that does. And then as we get older how they show up in our relationships and how that actually affects how you are with people in terms of relationship and uh maybe how you're having sex with them as well so oh let's talk about um some of the things that are absolutely required for feeling securely attached is something like having a safe haven um so that you can process things like anxieties and fears um to be able to relieve yourself from stressors and if you can't as an infant regulate your nervous system then you will have certain um things that are not met and then your the way that you attach to your caregiver uh will help you process that so if you don't have your own safe haven um say as children and I gotta excuse me there was no stopping that one so oh there's more coming sorry well that's really funny sneezing out of the blue well You're welcome. You got to share that moment with me. For those of you who are into sneezing, you're welcome. So we're talking about safe uh, safety and safe havens and feeling secure and being able to relieve stress. So whether you're in pain or whether you're having a fear and you need to know that the caregiver you have is going to assist you with that or that you have a space that you can work that out. So I know for me when I was little, a lot of the times when I would get scared or upset, my first inkling was run away and I think I had that inkling from a very from when I was very little so I had I was always trying to like find um a way to detach right so I didn't want to attach I wanted to run away but in hopes I remember this I mean I've done a lot of therapy and like looking at myself as a, a little kid so I remember running away um as as much run away as I could do because I wasn't allowed to cross the road. But nobody said to me I wasn't allowed to run away, so that was kind of funny. But I would run away and I'd run around the block for what felt felt like hours. It could be like an entire afternoon. And I would run away in hopes that somebody would actually care enough to find me. And I noticed that I did that from probably the age of when I was about as soon as I could walk till well probably till recently. (laughs) So but I do I do specifically remember being eight or nine years old, being really stressed at school. And I came home and the first thing I did was hopped on my bike and I rode and I rode and I rode all around the city, Toronto, which is a pretty big metropolitan area. And I rode my bike from the time school finished, and this was in the summer, till it was dark out. And the whole time I rode, I was riding, well, I had my Cabbage Patch Kid with me, so I wasn't completely alone. And when I was riding, I I remember having this like feeling of both uh, dread, sadness uh, for whatever had gone on that day. And I honestly don't even remember what happened that day. I was just done. I was fed up about something, life, people being teased, who knows what it was. And I just took off. And I remember feeling really sad. And I remember wondering, will anybody care that I'm gone? Uh, And I'm like nine, eight or nine years old and thinking, will anybody even care that I'm gone? If I died, would anybody care? And I remember saying that as like a four-year-old, if I die, do you even care? And so in response to that, and I know I understand that my mom was tired, she was working hard and she didn't necessarily um, give the response to me that I needed, because when I would say stuff like that um, and I would be on the floor crying, like, do you even care that I could be dead? Like, if I died, does it matter to you? And she would just walk over me as if I wasn't there. So then I started to feel more and more. And I don't, I'm, I actually have a really good relationship with my mom now. And we've healed a lot of that. But at the time, it was devastating. It was like, um, and then she just didn't do it. Everybody mimicked that behavior. Except sometimes my grandma would say, oh, I'm really sad that Malitz is dead. And so then I'd have to maintain being dead like playing my dead place, like I'm dead and doesn't anybody care? My grandma would say she was sad, but nobody else would react. They would just walk around me like I wasn't there. So when you're little and all you're really looking for is somebody to give a crap, that's really harsh, um, really hard. And it actually does uh, create some different things when it comes to attachment. I giggle because I know I'm very aware of my attachment style and I'm very aware of, and I've done so much healing and therapy on it that I'm also aware of of where where I would do things like avoid, uh, run away, those sort of things. I know that that's one of my um, one of my habits. So if a person does have like a safe place to let those out, then they're going to have a safe, secure uh, ability to relate to people later on in life. So one of the key things is like when your body is stressed and you feel abandoned what's that gonna create for you? I'm I'm a big, I, I've been watching some videos from some doctors who also talk about attachment and I've been watching um, information on, you know, uh, studies about babies and if they're cuddled a lot, like what does that do for them growing up? How do they, what's their attachment like? And, you know, for babies who like to be cuddled, because there are infants who don't, sometimes if you have autism, as a as an infant you don't really want to be touched um but some other infants really love being touched so if you love it and you receive it you know it's like we talk about the five love languages one of those love when your love languages are delivered to you you're gonna have secure secure attachment styles so I'm gonna throw the love languages in with the attachment style probably today a lot because I do think that they they can really work well together. Now, if if your love languages aren't delivered, then certain other uh, things will show up where you're gonna to start to find other ways to attach, create attachment in, in sort of more ambivalent ways. So what we do want to create is the idea Like As parents, so I'm also a parent, and what we want to be able to provide is a space for the child to be able to work out the stressors and anxieties in the way that is best for them. And it can be hit and miss sometimes with that. But as your child has the ability to talk, listening to them for their words of what they say, but also knowing them is really helpful. (laughs) So if your child says, I don't know what I need, then you can always give a few options like do you require space? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you need to have a shower? Do you need a cuddle? So I know for my kid that sometimes my my uh my child would have like a a, a bit of an outbreak sometimes after school and be like. I miss this person and this person I'd be like cool okay is that true that you miss them or can you actually sense them and you can sense them okay cool what's really going on and the first thing I would go to is do you need to go pee and then because I I've learned that that was actually one of the triggers so then my child would go pee and I would say how are you now? Do you still miss this person? No, I'm fine now. So it was interesting because there was a connection between letting go, like urinating and letting go, and being able to connect with people. So energetically, there was a connection there. And the more that... um the more that my kid like became aware of that, that tendency, the more we could move through it a lot faster. So, and then it would be now, what is it, you know, do you feel this? And, or like, especially when there was no answer, I could give a few options. And if it was none of those options then I would search for more options to, to try and narrow down to see what's going on and to, to sort of facilitate some shift with that. Right. So I'm not the perfect parent by any means I just parent a little differently so if you know if you're listening to this going oh I wish I'd done that for my kid or that's really stupid it doesn't really matter what your thoughts are on that if you've parented your child and they're a functional human being they haven't gone off and shot anybody and they're not a bigot you're doing your job so so yay so all right so what we want to do is we want to give our kids a secure home, a secure base, so that they can explore the world and feel safe in the world and not feel like everything is a threat or a danger, right? So when you're the parent who creates everything as a threat and a danger, it it creates a lot of fear, right? So even though we have a lot of talks in our house about things that are going on in the world, like things like food shortages, or in a way there are food shortages, however, there's food hoarding going on too. That's a whole other story, not for this show, but um, we talk about these things and I do know that it can raise some stress, but then I also talk about solutions and go, so because of A, B, and C, I'm aware of that in the world, I've chosen to do A, B, and C in response to that, so you will always be looked after, I will always be looked after, and the people we love will always be looked after, so like reaffirming and reassuring in whatever best way you can do that right so creating a safe environment sometimes is tricky in a world where things don't feel so safe so how do you do that for your child it it is something to practice something to ask them what do they need especially when they can communicate that with you either verbally or with sign or whatever it happens to be nonverbal communication that you understand so being able to explore your world and being able to feel safe in your exploration of the world are really key um, in development and they're also really necessary for things like, um, for not only development, for, but for attachment both to, to the child's caregiver and to other people. So once your child feels secure in their attachment to the caregiver, you can you, they can often feel more secure with other people. Some kids have an innate knowing of who is safe and who is not. Um, I know that that's one thing that my child has an amazing capacity for and has since like birth. Will automatically respond to people who they feel safe around and who they don't feel safe around. Um, I think when I first brought um, Ziva home at like a few, like one week old, because we were in hospital for almost a week. There wasn't a huge attachment to the biological dad. There was a bit of an attachment to some friends that that we had. um, and, And I was able to let other people hold Ziva that Ziva felt safe with. And then at around the age of three or four, I met my now husband. And the first reaction Ziva had to Mike was that Ziva ran to him, grabbed his leg, stared at him with their big blue eyes and just was like in adoration and admiration and they both had this like like this uh love lock in their eyes so <laughs> was really adorable and mike was only coming to do some work on the house uh, for construction we weren't even dating at this point so <clears throat> that also occurred the first time that uh, ziva had met my one of my best friends too and about the age of three and like ran right up to my friend Yaz and grabbed her with like total adoration so there are people um that that Ziva innately feels confident and comfortable and secure with and then sometimes not so confident confident comfortable and secure with other people so it's also good to honor your child when they give you those cues and try not to force them into um relationships with people they don't feel comfortable with because then what you're doing is taking away the secure environment for them So, we're going to talk about those. What are those four attachment styles? How they show up in kids? How they show up in relationships when we come back from this commercial break? You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we'll be right back after this commercial.
0: Are you secretly a voyeur, wondering what's going on in other people's sex lives? What if now is the time for a totally different sexual evolution? Listen for the Pleasure Zone with Melitza every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? This is the Pleasure Zone with sensual Movement Artist Melitza Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email. Info at Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I am having a fun show today talking all about attachment styles and how we have them and how they show up in our body, in our lives, and how we have them develop um, as we are growing up as, as like infants, as babies, and our attachments. And it's really a fascinating thing. So attachment styles are, are a pretty interesting conversation to have. And a lot of relationship therapists will talk about that. The work on this has mainly been done by a researcher named John Bowlby, B-O-W-L-B-Y, if you're looking for um, his, any of his information on attachment theory. And so with attachment theory, we also need to talk about separation distress as well, because that factors into, you know, we can have a healthy, happy attachment style. You know, we have a secure environment. We're allowed to explore things. We feel, you know, confident that our caregiver is going to be there for us, you know, no matter what. And then separation distress um, comes in when, you know, if the caregiver is absent, um, and it'll actually have have when separation distress comes in and, and the child feels like nobody's there for me, um, then the child will look for other people to stay close to that are capable to meet their needs and keep them safe. So I had a lot of separation distress, um, growing up a lot. So, um, you know, again, I'm not faulting anybody. We all do the best we can as parents. It's not the easiest thing in the world. So, um, my, my separation distress first, um, my, my mom and dad separated when I was four. My mom actually removed us from the home, which was the best move she ever did. And I'm actually really grateful for that. Um, it's interesting because my dad's recently been talking to me about that and he's having some stress on that and I'm like no it's actually like one of the best things that happened for all of us like honestly we are all better off because of it it did you know create some things for me in the meantime in terms of the way I would seek out uh trying to get my needs met so even in in like um so as I've talked about before on this show, one of my primary love language, like my primary love language is touch uh, and acts of service. I, I've got them all, but my primary one is is uh, touch, right? So I have a mom who's quite um, on the spectrum of autism and she does not like touch or, or hugs. And that's one of the main things I needed. And having my mom as my primary caregiver when I was little and I didn't get that touch was very confusing to me because I couldn't see where... Love was. So I was seeking to find love from other people. I had an amazing teacher in grade four, and thank God it was the 80s. And I had this actually grade three as well. Miss Bailey, you're probably not alive anymore. And Miss Finley, you're probably 90. <laughs> hey, if you guys are listening, that's so cool. <laughs> Both Miss Bailey and Miss Finley were amazing um, for me because they allowed me to hug them. And they were like the kindest teachers i ever had so miss finley was my my full time teacher from grade 4 and then when i was in grade 5 and 6 she became my enrichment teacher which meant i got to leave class and have so much fun in and this class with 10 other kids where we got to like actually be challenged uh, to have to have like our minds uh, grow and explore it was an amazing um, experience felt really lucky so so that so i i had like these two people at school, like my two teachers who even when I left, I think I was like in grade eight or nine. Um, I actually was, I think I was in high school. I had moved to another city. I came back to try and visit my um, my grade three teacher. She still remembered me. It had been six years and that was awesome. And my other teacher, uh, I lost touch with her after grade eight, Miss Finley. She was, she was uh, like a beacon of light for me. So that actually just makes me really sad and cry, but she was amazing. So I say that because um, I was recently reading in the news, like there's, I know there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Like there are things going on where maybe um, parents are thinking that their kids are being groomed by teachers. I think things need to get really clear on that. I was never groomed by my teacher Um, my teacher did not have her own kids and she was incredibly kind to all of the children. She looked after all of us like we were her own. And she knew that my mom was a single mom and she knew that my mom was stressed financially and she would do things for us. Like she would take me for lunch and sometimes I would save my my um money up from from doing my chores like my allowance was like pretty minimal it was two or three dollars for like maybe three months of work right or sometimes my dad's friends would give me two dollars and i would think i was the richest person in the world and i would collect that money and i would take miss finley out for lunch well take her out meant that i would ask her out for lunch and then um, and it was she was really smart about it she always had two children so she was very smart. There was always two of us. We would go for lunch with her and we'd usually go to like a burger joint. Um, and we, as the students, she would always, she was really sweet about it because we always wanted to take her out and she would let us. And then sometimes she would be like, no, it's your birthday. I'm taking you out. Uh, she was awesome. I probably in my grade four year went to lunch on lunch dates with her probably 10 times. And, um and she was my saving grace. So, I feel for kids nowadays because a lot of that's not available because there's a lot of suspicion and there's a lot of other stuff going on. But, um, yeah, I was really lucky. So I had I found my people I could attach to. My grandmother was another person I could attach to because she did touch for love as well. Um, Her love was a little confusing, like growing up later on, it was confusing, Um, but but um, I found ways to work around her. Um, and she is no longer in body. So hopefully she's listening energetically to you. But um, yeah, she was also somebody that I could count on for hugs as well as my grandpa, although my grandpa was a doctor. So he was on call a lot. I didn't get to see him a lot. But when I did, he was always up for hugs as well. So I could get my, I could get my attachment into some of these other caregivers that I had they weren't my primary caregivers um, because my primary caregiver that was not her strength right so um, and in no way faltered for that so now uh, now that I've learned over the years like what my mom's um, love language is I can receive her love language from her I don't try to force my love language onto her because it makes her really uncomfortable it does involve touch right so I don't hug my mom Um, Because I know that doesn't, it doesn't jive with her, it actually makes her feel really gross. So as much as it might be my love language, I also know uh, that I can receive that from others. Um, My child is a huge hugger, my husband's a huge hugger. So I have found ways to be able to fulfill that. And in high school, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I was certainly looking for my love language. So you know, I dated as much as I could, and I was pretty actively sexual because i was looking to fulfill my love language that hadn't been filled Um, had i known that at the time i was i was actually a pretty conscious kid i was doing things like meditation Uh, Had I had some understanding around that, I probably would have shifted it. So it's helpful. You know, the the younger you are to uh, know this, the earlier you are to know this, the more that you can kind of save yourself from some possible grief and woes. But I don't regret any of the experiences I had. They were all contributing to who I am today. So how these things play out, right? How these attachment styles play out in our life are very fascinating. I just wanna run through the four attachment styles really quickly. So the four attachment styles in children are secure attachment, and ambivalent insecure attachment, avoidant insecure attachment, disorganized insecure attachment. So these are the attachment styles in children. So securely attached children are confident in their relationships with their caregivers, Um, They're eager to spend their time with them, and they'll usually be pretty happy when their caregiver, like if their caregiver leaves home and then comes back, they're usually really happy to see them. They're usually pretty confident that the caregivers are going to return. They're not thinking, oh, my God, they've abandoned me for life and they're never coming back. And sometimes at first, maybe the first trial run that'll happen where the child doesn't know, are they coming back? but once you do come back you've actually established some trust with that kid and and how do you do that is you know with children they don't really understand time necessarily so you can start i i think you can start with something really easy like i'm going to be gone for five minutes. And then, you know, if they happen to be watching some show or something, then it's the equivalent of you watching this show is five minutes. I'll be back when this show is done. So you just stay with your babysitter for this amount of time. And then they know. Uh, I actually babysat a kid in high school. And the one thing that the mother would always say to the kid was when you get home from school, your babysitter's going to put on this put on a movie you don't have to watch it but it was the way to give the timeline and i thought that was really cool so she would put on the timeline the the video of the timeline uh so the kid would understand when this movie's done i'll be home and so or dad will be home somebody will be home when this movie's done somebody will be home and so to be able to fulfill that to you when you know that or if you can't fulfill it and you know that movie's an hour and 45 minutes and you can't get back in time for that that you call the person, you call the child so they can hear your voice, so they know you're okay. Um, that's another option too, keeping in contact if you can't fulfill that promise, but try your best to fulfill the promise. I know that life gets in the way. So to really, they are free to explore their world with no judgment. They're free to explore and they're safe, right? And that you're gonna return. Like if you go away, you're gonna return pets do this too right like just think about it if you leave and your dog is like going mental because he doesn't know are you going to return with dogs they don't always trust that you're gonna come back but uh, if you do want to know more about pets and animals uh, I can refer you to some people who are amazing animal communicators who can teach you how to work with that okay so we got secure attachment style um and then the ambivalent insecure attachment in children is where children with um, with the ambivalent insecure attachment they don't feel confident in their relationship with their caregiver and they might try to reassure themselves by really staying close all the time because they don't trust that the caregiver is going to be there and often the children are pretty unhappy when the caregiver goes away and when the caregiver is um is not like actually giving feedback or saying i'll be back with a b and c at this time you can trust that i'll be here for that when when you haven't given them that or explained things or had conversations included them in life then yes they might actually feel very separated so when children with an ambivalent insecure attachment are often reunited with their caregivers sometimes they cry or get mad and they're not really happy to see them they actually want to punish them so I've seen this too in kids. Um, when I was a nanny, uh, one of the little girls that I, the little girl that I looked after, she she would actually get really mad at her parents, well, her mom sometimes, um, but not always. <laughs> not always, just at first, she would get mad at her mom. Eventually, over time, she trusted her mom more, which was cool. Um, she trusted her dad a lot, so she knew he would return, but she didn't always trust her mom. So I think I don't know if that's still true for them or not, but um, it was true as a baby, as an infant, and possibly that has changed. All right, we're going to talk about the other attachment styles, the avoidant insecure attachment and disorganized insecure attachment in children when we come back from this break. And we'll also talk about adults and relationships as well. So you're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices Network, and we'll be right back after this commercial.
0: Are you secretly a voyeur? you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life, and quite possibly, other areas of your life as well. Listen for The Pleasure Zone with Militza. every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com.
1: Interested in masturbating for money? Copulating for consciousness And pleasuring on purpose 21 Days of Sexual Magicism With sensual movement artist Milica Jelenic Is an exploration of tools Processes and actions That you can use to create more for your life Your body Your money inflows And so much more Graduated learning for all levels of interest Learn at your own pace via video classes Or join the yearly live class Take a peek
0: Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist Milica Yelenich. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room. At inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email info at Now back to the program.
1: Welcome back my sweet pleasure seekers. So today we're talking about different attachment styles and we're starting with the attachment styles in children which have different names than the attachment styles um, when we get older. So but there are still four. of them. So we're talking about the avoidant insecure attachment uh, right now. For those of you who are just tuning in, we spoke about the secure attachment before and the ambivalent insecure attachment prior to this break. And uh, for those of you who are listening, this show might be emotional. As you hear things, you might feel like, oh, you can like relate. And if it's bringing up some stuff for you and you're feeling like This is heavy duty. Yeah, this can feel heavy duty because it can bring up a lot of old stuff and it can have you become aware of things that maybe uh, you were trying to repress or suppress. So, if you need any assistance with this, moving through it, walking through it, getting some clarity in terms of your, you know, what you, you know, how you attach to the child, what you're doing now as an adult, what you can do to change things to have things be better. Um, for sure, get a hold of me. Uh, you can always book a freebie session through. If you go on my website, malitsajelanic. there's a book now link. You can go down to the bottom. You can click on that book now link. There is um, there's mini sessions on there. You can click on the mini session. That is a giveaway that I gift. It's a 15 minute session. If you book that, I will have a, get to have a chat with you, and then you can see if you if my style of coaching works for you or not. So let's move on to the avoidant insecure attachment in children. So avoidant insecure children um, often act like they don't care about their caregiver. They just are very, um, you know, avoiding them. Um, They don't feel like they're important. Um, So they might prefer to spend time alone and, and uh, just avoid, whatever their caregiver offers to do with them, whether it's playing or uh, whatever, they're not really interested in being part of uh, whatever's going on. So also children who tend to have avoidant, insecure attachment, they might act like they don't notice when their caregiver leaves, like pretend like it's not even happening. (coughs) But actually internally, they very much notice and they feel kind of rejected um so so i kind of did this as a kid (laughs) like i kind of had the avoidant insecure attachment Uh, and when their caregivers return they don't really tend to acknowledge them out loud and they don't really they don't necessarily they don't hate their caregiver but they don't show them any love or affection either so I think for me, it was like a retaliation. It was like, you're not giving me the love in the love language that I want. So I'm not going to give you love in the love language you want. But I didn't know those words, love language. It was just like, I'll just avoid you. We're all going to pretend like we don't care. Um, So it's, it's a very interesting thing to see. So now what we have is when I think it's kind of fun I'm going to give you an example if you ever watched Cheers in your life when Norm would walk into Cheers everybody would go Norm right there was a secure attachment going on everybody's securely attached to Norm because they recognized him they felt safe with him they felt secure in their relationship with him they could count on him he's going to be at Cheers he's going to be at that bar all the time right so that's just an example that popped to mind (laughs) but um for avoidant insecure attachment you might not even notice or you do notice and you're like meh you're here you're not meh whatever so i found that i tended to um attract other avoidant insecure attached people as a kid like we would just be like okay you're gone bye Whatever. Like we tended to have very similar attachment styles. I don't know if that is a common thing across the board where kids will have similar attachment styles, but it is is something that I noticed in my life. We've also got the disorganized insecure attachment in children. So children with disorganized insecure attachment give off mixed signals like their signals are disorganized, right? So they don't have a consistent pattern of behavior towards their caregiver. They could like them one minute, not like them in the next minute. Um, and, and they don't necessarily know how or how they could or should react to people. They just like look at them like, oh, I don't know. And sometimes children also with that style Take on the role of parent. So that is something that I did a little bit of. I was more like avoidant insecure, more avoided insecure than disorganized and insecure. But as I became a teenager, I became more like the parent myself because my mom was uh, working all these hours, so I would sometimes treat her like a teenager. It was weird, but they got the roles got flipped. So if you notice that roles are being flipped, or your your children are trying to parent um, your kids or if you know if you see that you're um this actually yeah if you see like your your kids are trying to parent each other and sometimes this happens like if you have older siblings and younger siblings and those older siblings um are told go look after your siblings and so they're taking on the role of the parent which creates that disorganized insecure attachment it can be kind of um confusing but when you when you get really clear with them on this is your role and also sometimes for kids if you have the money or the wherewithal or even the maybe the connections you just need to know people sometimes is that you can bring somebody else in to look after your kids that are not the siblings because if the siblings are looking after each other it does create a bit of a an interesting dynamic, who's the parent, who's the this, who's the that, so if you bring in somebody else, it can be, that's a neutral party, that can be really helpful, all right, so good times, attachment styles, I have a few minutes to just uh, go through, and then we're going to talk about how these can like affect your your sex life, we're going to start on the attachment styles in adults, So there are different scales, obviously, of of, uh, the way that we have our attachment styles. So they're not like you're not necessarily like 100 percent of one or the other. But like I was saying earlier, like I had had one and I kind of had a little of the other as a child. Um, So if you have, um, you know, you might have some different traits in all of these. So, yeah, you don't necessarily identify with every You don't necessarily identify as only one of these. It's just something to be aware of and you would actually need to go through some different like testing or uh, ask yourself some questions to really figure that out. Okay, so uh, attachment styles in relationships for adults, uh, they tend to be a lot of the uh, characteristics that are things that we kind of carried over from childhood, right? And we need to look at these patterns from childhood that we're carrying into adolescence and into adulthood so you might notice as we go through these that some of these sound really familiar to the childhood ones so secure attachment again just like the childhood secure attachment um it, as an adult you actually know how to have boundaries and but you can still have intimacy with boundaries right we have and i don't know boundaries is such a weird word for me it's just like clearly knowing what works for you and what doesn't boundary to me often feels like i'm being tied up (laughs) maybe you're being bound right i don't know just me it's just a funny word we don't have another word right now that i'm aware of so awareness on what works for you and what doesn't and being clear about that so if you are in a secure if you do have a secure attachment style you're going to approach relationships with a lot of confidence like you just know that you're okay everything's safe um there tends to be really low anxiety in relationships and the secure attachment style, they can tend to communicate really effectively about any topic. So even the things that might be difficult, you know, whether it's like discussing intimacy or discussing different things about um, health or, or money or anything like that. And this is for me, something that I'm working towards having a more secure attachment style. So, how do I do that is that I become aware of all the stuff that stresses me out and then check in on it, see how I can fulfill certain needs, see how I can feel more secure. And so it's um, it's a, I'm a work in progress and and secure attachment can also be a work in progress. It's something for me as a tar- that's like a target that I have. So so a person with secure attachment generally is pretty optimistic in their relationships and they feel pretty um clear about how what's going on and they know pretty much up front what everybody wants and needs so I think on my very first date with my husband we like laid everything out which is not common people don't tend to do this because it usually scares people off and they do like run away you know but um we discussed everything from marriage to children to future to what we want in life. We did that all on our very first date, which is kind of hardcore. Neither of us ran. We were like, hey, we're on track. (laughs) There was both of us had some confidence there. And we, um, although I mean, primarily we're secure. We also have some other tendencies that happen at times they creep in. So when you feel secure in your relationship you also expect that from your partner and sometimes if if your partner has a different attachment style it can be kind of confusing but if you both have you're both secure you're going to be in a relationship where um you're going to feel pretty pretty uh, satisfied most of the time that you're not alone that somebody's got your back so it's helpful when you're when you have like a strong identity and know who you are that you can walk in with confidence I think as I was like learning more and more about who I am I've become more and more secure uh, over time so we're going to talk about the other three attachment styles when we come back for adults we might not even get into the sex part of this but I'm sure you can imagine how this plays out in sex if you have a secure attachment style you're going to be pretty confident in sex the intimacy is going to be pretty high you're going to feel like you have the ability to be vulnerable around each other, which is awesome. So your sex can be really great and it might not be. But the beauty of a secure attached um, attachment style, if both partners have that, is that you're willing to talk about it and you can talk about it with ease. So we're going to talk about the other three, anxious, preoccupied, dismissive, avoidant and fearful avoidant when we come back from this commercial break. You're listening to The Pleasure Zone here on Inspired Choices and we'll be right back after this commercial.
0: you'll receive tools, inspiration, and a foundation to allow yourself to receive more in your sex life, and quite possibly other areas of your life as well. Listen for The Pleasure Zone with Milica every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is The Pleasure Zone with sensual movement artist, Milica Jelanić. To participate in the program today, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also make the choice to ask or comment by email info at Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back, my sweet pleasure seekers. Today, we're talking about attachment styles. If you find that when you're listening to this, you're confused about your attachment style, um, I highly recommend talking to any kind of relationship therapists or counselors. They often talk about attachment styles. Um, If you would like to talk to me about it, we can do that as well. So relationship coaches will often talk about attachment styles as well. So how do all these attachment styles play out with sex too, right? So we talk about secure attachment in adults where there's like a confidence of feeling like you can say what you need to say, knowing that you're in a relationship that that the person is there for you and you're there for yourself. So all of these uh, attachment styles too, like the secure attachment style, the person knows who they are, they're confident in who they are. So going into relationship, they, have, they bring that confidence forward. So how does that play out in sex? There's going to likely be more confidence, more exploration, right? Remember, we talked about attachment styles have to do a lot like with the ability to explore your environment and feel safe. So a secure attachment would also lead to having a feeling of uh, being able to explore sexually as well and feel safe in your exploration and also feel safe in saying what works for you and what doesn't, like those, what people call boundaries, but what works and what doesn't, right? So if you're wondering what works and what doesn't, check out my do's, don'ts, maybes list on my uh, website, melitzajelanik.com, M-I-L-I-C-A-J-E-L-E-N-I-C. The very bottom, there's a do's, don'ts, maybes list that you can sign up for. You'll get on my mailing list so you can get all the updates for what shows are coming uh, and other things that are going on. But you'll also get a free download for my do's, don'ts, maybes list, which can help you get clear on like some exploration, which is fun. So a lot of people with secure attachment are pretty good with exploration, but sometimes they need some ideas. That list is kind of vanilla, but it's a great starting point. So anxious preoccupied attachment is where people have an attached style that they're more anxious about the relationship um they're anxious about their relationships maybe the other person isn't as as uh as anxious because they might be with a person with a secure attachment style so that other person might be fine but they're feeling <clears throat> they're feeling anxious so partners with an anxious preoccupied attachment style might feel greater need for reassurance and affirmation like they need somebody to tell them it's going to be okay i'm with you i love you you're beautiful and i'm with you and i love you and we're together now it's good to know when somebody's telling you the truth or when they're blowing smoke up your butt, too, because there are narcissists who will say things um, or there, you know, there there are people who will also mm, do, like, do things to try and convince you uh, that everything is okay, but it's not, so so it's good to trust your gut so if you're secure in yourself then even if you're a, in a relationship with somebody who's anxious preoccupied they um you can reassure them it might actually help them in time if they're willing to do the work and see like where did this come from in their lives and they might actually be able to heal some of that and become secure themselves so partners with that's with that anxious preoccupied style they might need that reassurance and sometimes it also leads people to um, like invent conflicts or create issues out of nowhere Um, and then you know it could be like a smallest issue in the world but it might be like hey you forgot to put down the toilet lid and I'm divorcing you like that's pretty extreme but that's like an, an anxious that's a it's a pretty extreme reaction for anxious preoccupied, but it could be something that could come out over time. So you need to actually like look at some of the issues that come up without having them get like really huge. So if you are anxious preoccupied, it's really great to get some... Um, you know, relationship advice, get some therapy going, get some help on that front. Um, we're also going to look at the dismissive avoidance so we can get everybody in before the end of the show. Dismissive avoidant people um, can sometimes seem cold or distant. My mom's a bit like that, but it's also part um, partly because of autism. So dismissive avoidant attachment styles, they may be weary of relationships in general, and they just they just don't really trust people and they don't trust commitment at all. Um, They say they don't want to be tied down. They're not interested in that. And they're also, um, they can sometimes be really preoccupied with their life or their hobbies or their work. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who's dismissive avoidant, you might feel like they don't care about you or like they're not answering you or they're not paying attention to you. And like, why aren't they paying attention to you? Um, So if you're, if you're like anxious, preoccupied, and you're like, what, what's going on, I don't feel secure, and your partner is dismissive avoidant, they're not paying attention, it's going to be stressful, doesn't mean it can't work, but it does, it does mean that there's like usually going to be some intervention of therapy required. So Dismissive avoidant people tend to try and be really busy and occupy themselves. Maybe they're like uh, workaholics. Maybe they have a million things that they do just to try and avoid having any commitment in relationship. So they don't have to um, actually have their their partners meet their friends, um, that sort of thing. And so when you know that about a person, like my husband has a tiny bit of dismissive avoidant behavior, like in all the years I've been with him it took years to meet one of his brothers and it took like eight years to meet his best friend (laughs) so um, he preoccupies himself with other things and he doesn't it's not an important factor for him but a person with that like dismissive avoid and attachment style is more likely to be passive aggressive uh, or they tend to have higher narcissistic tendencies than other attachment styles so if you are with like a narcissist then some of these dismissive avoidant uh, characteristics will probably come out all right let's get in the fearful avoidance before the show is over so people with this attachment style find themselves in chaotic relationships there's a lot of conflict um, both with like what they want what their fears are Uh, intimacy is kind of chaotic and they desperately desire to be with each other but and they want a relationship but they're also super afraid of it because they don't really want to be vulnerable and they don't really know what's required in commitment and they're just like afraid so in intimacy and sex people with fearful avoidant attachment styles can be really obsessive to the point where it can push
0: people away so thank you for listening to the pleasure zone